Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, April 22nd, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from the heartland in Nebraska, Sarah Abbott. Taylor Schwenk's working from his new home studio in the foothills of Connecticut. And I'm Buster Only. The New York Mets continue to roll. In the final game of their series against the Giants on Thursday, it was that guy again. Francisco Lindor, who gave him a lead. Well, the 1-0 hit in the air to right field, pretty deep. Yastrzemski towards the corner, in front of the wall. It is gone, a home run! Francisco Lindor continues to hit Beast Lafani well as he homers into the front row of the Coca-Cola corner, the upper deck in right field. For Lindor, his fourth home run of the year, and the Mets have a one nothing first-inning lead. So great to hear Howie Rose on WCBS uh, in the second inning. One of their new guys gave him a lead. And the 0-1 hit deep to right field. Yastrzemski back into the corner, and it is gone. A home run. Eduardo Escobar with his first home run as a New York Met. And the Mets have a 2-1 to one lead. On their way to a 6-2 victory, they're now 10-4. The leave for Trevor Bauer, the administrative leave, has been extended through April 29th by Major League Baseball and the Players Union. The situation continues to be unresolved. The Marlins, the Cardinals, and Jazz Chisholm gave the Marlins a big hit in the bottom of the seventh. With the infield in, the 0-2 pitch, and Jazz hits a fly ball to right and deep. Carlson going back toward the bullpen. Way back, it's over his head, and out of here! A two-run homer for Jazz Chisholm, and the Marlins have broken it open. It's 5-0 in the seventh. It was Glenn Gleffner, 940 WINZ. The final score was 5-0. Pablo Lopez pitched three-hit ball over seven innings in his first start since getting married on Monday. Red Sox manager Alex Cora tested positive for COVID-19, and so Will Venable managed the Red Sox and Cora's absence on Thursday. They faced the Blue Jays and fell behind early. In the 0-2, fastball, ground ball on the right side, past the dive of Story and into right field, a base hit. Coteau turns the corner, he's coming in to score, and it's 1-0 Toronto. That was Sportsnet 590, the fan. The Blue Jays win this game 3-2 behind an unbelievable outing by Kevin Gossman. Had just a nasty splitter working at Fenway Park. The Atlanta Braves reacquired Jesse Chavez, who's 38 years old, and a swap of pitcher with the Chicago Cubs. Jesse Chavez is sort of one of those utility knife type guys. You can drop him into any situation so you can see why Brian Sitker wanted him back. Scott Service, Manny Acta, part of the Seattle Mariners staff. Both tested positive for COVID-19, and so they've stepped away from the team service. Of course, the manager acted the third base coach. They were not on hand for a frustrating game for the Mariners on Thursday. The Texas Rangers fell behind early, and then they came back, and then the Rangers relinquished the lead to the Mariners, and then they took the lead in the ninth inning on this. 2-2 pitch, and that one is ripped through the shift. Down into that right field corner. Garcia has excellent speed. He's lost his helmet and he's barreling around third. No throw offered. And the Rangers have retaken the lead in the ninth. The Mariners have had a terrific season so far. An exciting team. But it was kind of an ugly moment there. Some controversy in Detroit earlier in the day. The Tigers and the Yankees. And late in the game, Detroit was winning one to nothing. They had runners in second and third and two outs. Miguel Cabrera came to the plate, left-hander on the mound. And Aaron Boone, the Yankees manager, decided to intentionally walk Cabrera with him just one hit away from 3,000 in his career. Give a listen to the Yes Network broadcast of this moment. With history in the making, I mean, and this is the right move. You know, the Yankees are trying to win ball games. I'm sure that even though it's the right move, it's one that is eating at the stomach of Aaron Boone, being the baseball man that he is. I agree. I guarantee it is. 100%. And you can tell, you can see it on Mickey's face. He really wanted to hit, rightfully so, one away from from 3,000. And you can hear this crowd not happy at all. It's a tough situation to be in for a manager. Well, that is a really tough situation. 
It was Ryan Rucco and Cameron Maben on the Yes Network. Here's what it sounded like on the Tigers home radio station, 97.1, the ticket. And you, you know, have a left-hander on deck. I mean, when you think about it, that, that's, it makes sense. But good luck getting out of town if you do it. They are not. No, they are. Oh, man. Ron Gardenhire said Tom Kelly told him early in his career, stay away from the intentional walk, especially of the big guys, because it usually backfires, but also, Jim, because people are coming to see that guy hit. And this is what happened next with Austin Meadows at the plate. Swinging a pop-up, shallow left center. Will it drop? It will! Two runs are in, and Miguel Cabrera will make it over to third. Austin Meadows drops a pop-up into shallow left center. Two runs score, and the Tigers take a 3-0 lead. We're going to be talking about that with Carl Ravage coming up. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, it is Friday. That means it is Foxworth Friday on the right time with Bomani Jones. Bomani Jones and Dominique Foxworth are discussing Debo Samuels requesting a trade from the 49ers and how the wide receiver market has been shaken up across the league this offseason. They get into if Samuel could be elite in a different offense as well as how other great receivers of the past compare. Plus, is coaching hurting the Nets in their matchup against the Celtics? You can listen to all that on the right time with Bomani Jones, and you can watch it on YouTube as well. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Coming in hot. It's the Rabby Train with Carl Ravage. You didn't mean to do it, Carl, but that uh, coming in hot dropped in perfectly in the Rabby Train yep. drop. <laughs> no, I once worked in radio. I used to be a disc jockey at an AM radio station, as uh, Taylor, our producer, will tell you. I learned how to hit the post, so I knew to sneak one in there. That's called hitting the post. Rabbit Train is on two cups of coffee. I am uh, you know, giving a little warning here. We could go anywhere during this podcast, anywhere. Oh, my. We got it. Yeah, and we got a bunch of stuff to get to, uh, and we're going to, of course, talk about this weekend Sunday night baseball game. The Philadelphia Phillies hosting the Milwaukee Brewers, Carl Ravitch, uh, play-by-play man. But let's start with what happened in Detroit yesterday. A lot of people talking about Aaron Boone's decision to intentionally walk Miguel Cabrera. Carl, where do you land on this? Because to me, like, I get the anger of the fans. They went there hoping to see Miggy's 3,000th hit, but Aaron Boone's trying to win a game. 
Yeah, non-starter for me. I love the passion of a fan. If I'm a Detroit Tiger fan or a baseball fan in the stadium wanting to witness history, I'm pissed off that that happened. I'm also looking forward to buying a ticket to the next game so I can witness history. If I'm Aaron Boone's boss and he decides to pitch to Cabrera and he picks up the 3,000th hit and drives in a few runs, uh, it borders on fireable offense. Like We need to win every game. We're in a division where there are four teams competing for spots in the postseason. Uh, I'm not going to be a victim of being a part of history while I'm trying to make history and win a World Series for the first time since 2009. In order to do that, I need to get into the playoffs. I cannot just give away victories and put ourselves in a bad spot. Taylor and Sarah, I want you to have you guys weigh in because you get the you guys are the voice of the fans. Taylor, you go first. Uh, I've got no problem with this. I, although the only the only thing I might be hung up on if I were a Tigers fan is that Derek Jeter's three thousandth hit was was put on a platter, so I can see like the hand wringing there. But otherwise, yeah, they're trying. The Yankees are trying to win a game. Who cares? Come back tomorrow. Sarah, I agree, and I think you know it's kind of fun to be the team that ruins something. Like so. <laughs> So as much as it was hard to watch, it was kind of funny to me a little bit at the same time. I was glad. I must say to you guys that when I, you know, I saw what Aaron Boone did, I immediately went to the schedule to double check that the Tigers are home this weekend and they are. So I'm glad that there's another opportunity, Rabbi, as you said, for uh, for Cabrera to get number 3000 at home. Uh, this weekend, we've got the Brewers and Phillies and Bryce Harper wearing the Mike Carl I think of him as being a a pioneer in the use of the mic because of uh, what he did for us in 2020. I I don't know if you remember this, but uh, he, we asked him to wear a mic during the COVID season. You know, that was, uh, I was a sideline reporter for that game stationed in dead center field all by myself. Uh, And and, uh, Bryce was asked to wear a microphone for that game. He agreed to it. And I think the Braves scored nine runs in the top of the first inning and the producer uh, at that time in our, it was in our ear saying, boy, I don't know if Bryce will do this. We were very skeptical. And not only did Bryce wear the microphone, but he at one point he got knocked out when he was making a play on the warning track. And he found the earpiece in between innings and put it back in and talked to the booth uh, for the rest of the game. I, I thought you know, Bryce was one of the first players to recognize the potential of this. The Joey Votto uh, sort of leaping off point for this season was a bar that very few are going to be able to reach because of the way Votto embraced it. Where he's at emotionally, uh, in his life, his sense of humor. But subsequently, Kike Hernandez and Ozzy Albies have added a dramatic uh, amount to our telecast. It, it, it pulls back the curtain on things that baseball fans wouldn't otherwise see, whether it's communication on the field whether it's uh, their mindset when they are playing, what the next play is going to be. It's an amazing look into the mind of a ball player. And, you know, look, nine runs may have been the best thing that could have happened because there's also the realization, like, you know what, this is the time to do this. I take away from the athlete being able to do something like this as the golfer who gets pissed off when somebody sneezes and the other people who will sit there when they play golf Uh, and listen to music, and talk, and bark, and do all these things, and realize, you know, I probably can do this while there's, while there's distraction. It's my, my job to stay focused. They've been incredible at separating when it is they got to be quiet, when the pitch is thrown, and then how to react immediately after, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. I think they've been unbelievable and I'm delighted that Harper and then uh, the week after Lindor is doing it. It is a massive upgrade for the coverage of baseball for people who watch. And one thing I'm curious about, the, whether it comes out, is is how much baseball history Bryce Harper knows. I think among you know a lot of players you and I know, uh, you know, they play the game for a living, but there are very few who are actually big baseball fans and know the history. Bryce is one of those. I know you've had, you've certainly learned that through your conversations with him. Yeah, I've spent, I've, I, I, we once, it's, it's interesting. The two people or two of the four people we've now put microphones on, there have been days where I've spent considerable hours with that person. Otto was in a men's room and Harper was in a green room and believe it or not, a Jaguar. Uh, we were shooting a commercial for Jaguar and Bryce and I spent 
several hours together uh, in a fairly confined area. And yeah, he is a, he's a baseball rat. I mean, uh, you know, I brought up when we were discussing our Sunday night game, uh, the, the kind of parallels that Harper and Trout have taken. In a lot of ways, we, we've, we've known Bryce Harper since he was a teenager. And I think similar to Tiger Woods, when you're that great, that young, you're almost forced to understand the history of the game. And I think Bryce is one of those guys who recognizes the names of the people that have come before him, uh, his his peers now, and what what the what the game's direction is, and where it's been, what his impact has been. I, I agree. I think he's he is one of those that doesn't just go out and play. He understands all of it. He gets where we're going. And to his credit, I think Bryce is one of those guys that realize, you know, exposure of the player and brand, et cetera, is really, really important. And I'm, again, I'm, we're all grateful that he sees that. Aaron Nola will be pitching for the Phillies on Sunday night. And I'm, I'm really curious, Carl, to get a look at their defense uh, the Phillies are a very interesting team in how they're constructed. They got a bunch of, uh, to use uh, Buck Walters' turn, a bunch of, or no, this was Davey Johnson who always said this, the hairy-chested sluggers up and down their lineup, adding Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, and defense is going to be an issue all year for them. And their challenge is, in the face of that, you know, are they able to climb into this upper echelon of teams that's developing immediately at the start of this season? Yeah, it's a little bit of the land of the misfit toys, but in 2022 baseball, the misfit toys that they have are all, you know, what you'd look at and say, well, there there may be misfit when you combine the entire group, but individually, many of them represent the the positive side of baseball, certainly offensively. But in a lot of ways, like the Yankees, they have, they have one too many infielders. They probably have one too many DHs. Their their outfield defense obviously isn't great. Uh, they have a pitcher on the mound in Nolo who induces a lot of ground balls, and yet defensively they're one of the worst when it comes to turning double plays. Um, and again, I you know jokingly said after they won the final game in Colorado, the Phillies are flying home, and man, are they rolling! And the Twitter vitriol was hilarious because I was joking about, here they go, they're rolling. And you know baseball like I do, Buster. It takes one game to get on a roll. How the Philly fan perceived that was, I loved it because they, they completely seemed to miss the whole dang point. They won a game. That's a good thing. Otherwise, you're coming in after getting swept in Colorado and the, you know, the snowballs will be brought into the stadium when it's going to be 80 degrees. You know, live a little bit, breathe a little bit. We're a dozen games in. This is a team that can score the hell out of the ball. Let them, let them do it, and and you know, to the extent you can, lighten up and enjoy it. This is going to be a fun team to watch if they can get on a roll. But you know, you may want to turn away when the ball's hit on the ground hard or or up in the air very far. On the other side, the Brewers, uh, of course, you know they've been consistent contenders in the National League uh, Central despite their payroll challenges. You know, being in the same division as the Cubs and Cardinals. And I know one guy we're going to talk a lot about on Sunday night is Christian Yelich, who won the MVP in 2018, would have won it in 2019, but he suffered that knee injury. And Carl, he's never really been the same since then. And it feels like that as we start this season, uh, you know, so far he's hitting 195, uh, you know, an OPS of about 700. He's still trying to find that sweet spot in his swing. And I know Eduardo probably will have some thoughts. Yeah. So the Yelly Belly show, which was so great in 18 and 19, Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger, uh, both of them seem to have dealt with, I don't know if you've seen the news recently, Buster, but there was this wedding in which all the uh, guests apparently ingested the food that was laced with, with marijuana or weed, and all the guests got sick. I don't know what it is that Yelly and Belly had after those two years, but both have struggled in a lot of ways, I think one of them is more physical, and that's Yelich. Um, I've seen a lot of breakdowns from DeRosa on MLB Network, etc. There's not a great deal that's changed in Yelich's swing. It's just the results. Now, the, the silver lining in all of it, and there was a great article on MLB.com by our guy Mike Petriello. He's hitting the crap out of the ball. I mean, he's hitting it as hard as anybody. 
The problem is he's generally wasting those hard-hit balls on the ground. And as, as somebody once said, in the big leagues, when they hit it on the ground, they end up in gloves and they end up out. That's, that's what led to the revolution of launch angle and trying to hit the ball where they ain't, either over the infielder's head or, or over the wall in the outfield. So, I, I, look, I think we all root for him. He's a terrific guy. He's obviously a team that made a huge investment in. And, the, look, the, I, I love them as a team. I think they are complete when Christian Yelich resembles the Yelich that we saw in that MVP year and the, and the following year, which he finished second. I got a few more quick ones for you before you go. Uh, Corey Ruckert, one of our listeners, sends in this bleacher tweet. Oakland had under 4,000 fans at last night's game. He sent this in a couple of days ago. A move to Vegas has to be made, right? And I saw, <clears throat> Carl, when I saw the attendance figures this year, this week, <clears throat> what jumped out at me and, you know, through, through my time in baseball, I've seen teams kind of gloss over their attendance figures a little bit. They'll pump them up, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to help perception of where the team is. And so when I saw those low attendance numbers posted by Oakland this week, I thought, you know what? This is a franchise that's trying to make it very clear how stark their situation is by announcing those attendance figures. And uh, you see all sides of it. On one hand, the athletics franchise has been talking about getting a new ballpark for, what, 30 years? And on the other hand, if if you're an athletics fan, you just saw a complete teardown of a good team and great young stars, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, et cetera. Um, But I, I think this is the athletics major league baseball trying to put pressure on uh, folks in local government and maybe some fans saying, look, we have to get a better solution than we have here. Yeah. uh, You don't need to say, I think that's what this is. They're complicit in all of this. They're complicit here. You don't, you don't generally see a lot of uh, car dealers go out and say our sales sucked in April and May, uh, but we're not going to do anything to change it. So we encourage you by virtue of telling you that to go somewhere else and buy a car. The A's are complicit in advertising how few people are going. The A's have created this by searching for a new ballpark, uh, by putting pressure on city council to approve a plan that would ultimately cost taxpayers a lot of money, and by completely tearing down a team that now you look at Chris Bassett, been unbelievable for the Mets. I don't know who's in a better spot but Matt Chapman and Matt Olson landed in baseball heaven, given the teams that they're on in Toronto and Atlanta. So you don't need to think that this is the A's and major league baseball's plan uh, to a put pressure on city government to approve a plan or to have Las Vegas and or Dave Stewart in Nashville do everything they can to grease the skid. So the team leaves. Yeah. It does feel like the movie major league to some degree. hundred <laughs> percent. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and by the same token, they're going to end up being a being a representative team. I mean, in a lot of ways, you do feel for the players. I don't feel for Billy Bean too much or forced. I get what they're doing. They're great at their jobs. But my goodness, I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, you 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 guys, you you performers are part of this circus. That that's what it feels like. And yet, the circus is a good show. Like they'll put a show on where they got young guys, athletic guys. And it's not just a a rollover team to play against. Speaking of Cleveland, speaking of the Guardians, this is what happened early in yesterday's game against the White Sox. And it's swung on, hit high, deep to right center. Sheets is back, Robert back at the wall. Gone! There's number one, and boy does it come! And a huge time for Fran Mill Reyes! That was the great Tom Hamilton, WTAM 1100. The Guardians win six to three, and they're at the top of the American League Central, Carl, with a seven and five record. And I've always been surprised the reaction of uh, Guardians fans uh, you know, who are sometimes unhappy with the you know trades that the team has made in direction of the team. Since Terry Francona took over as manager, Carl, they've had one losing season. It was last year when Tito wasn't even around for pretty much the right. whole year. Because he was dealing with them. They'll compete this year. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, but they're a good team. Look, the three, the, you, we just talked about the A's. To me, the A's, the Rays, and the Indians have a, a commonality about them. A, they're all, first of all, they're all small market teams. They don't spend a ton of money. B, they generally have more success than you might think they would 
meaning the Rays are always a playoff contending team. The A's are way better on the field than you think they would be. And the Cleveland Indians are the team that you go in and say, not this year. It's just going to be different. They always pitch well. They have Francona there. He's a baseball genius in that he gets the most out of his players, and the team generally doesn't beat itself. The challenge for Cleveland this year is going to be they're not great defensively. Um, Fran Mill Reyes, who had the homer yesterday, seems to be a little bit more selective. So you're depending on guys that don't yet have that proven track record. Terry seems to get the best out of them. Uh, so I'm not surprised that Tito has them where they are. Uh, it looks like Stefan is the in, the Guardians' uh, Whitlock, Garrett Whitlock, like a Rule 5 guy who just goes in and gets people out. So there's a lot to be a lot to be pleased of, and, and again, you go sort of pull some layers back. It, it may come someday where Dolan either sells the team or allows a minority owner in there, and there's a little extra money, and that's where the Ramirez contract came from, et cetera, et cetera. But, but they are, the Rays, the A's, and the Indians, if somebody has a preseason conversation, I don't care what they've done, Olsen, Bassett, uh, Cruz no longer with ten, like they're going to be okay. They're, those three teams generally are, are always okay, or for the most part are okay, better than you guess. All right, Ravi, I will see you uh, down at Citizens Bank Park this weekend. Woo-hoo. Here we go. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Himbo, of course, Paul Embikides. He used to be a researcher for ESPN. Then he became the head honcho of the show Get Up, apparently, because today we had to reschedule because he has a meeting uptown, is what he told us. Himbo, what's the word? I'm a head honcho now. So now I have to spend time hobnobbing in Manhattan and doing all sorts of things in my free time. So I appreciate you being able to move around amidst this busy schedule that my, my life has now necessitated. So thank you yeah. very much. Soon you will be taping these segments. You'll, you'll be in a limo. Uh, <laughs> you'll have two minutes for us and you'll be going out to a golf course to, to hit uh, with Rob Manfred. I, I think yes. that's right around the corner, Hembo. Mm-hmm. Just sparkling water. I don't drink tap water anymore. <laughs> All right. So a lot of people up in arms today about Miguel Cabrera. Are you as well? Yes, uh, very much so. But probably not for the same reason that most people are, Buster. I am up in arms because what I'm witnessing is one of the very greatest players of my generation approach 3,000 hits, which for all of my lifetime has been an enormous deal, as it's obviously been for all of baseball history. And best I can tell, very few people seem to care. I ranted about this on the radio yesterday. And obviously, if you were listening to this podcast, you probably care a lot more than the average sports fan in the country. But we're talking about an all-time great doing something that is all-time great. And to put Miguel Cabrera's sort of career in short perspective, Buster, he's going to be the 33rd player in history to record 3,000 hits. He's going to be the seventh member of the 500 home run 3,000 hit club. And he's going to become the third player to do those two things with a 300 career average. Willie Mays and Henry Aaron 
are the only others. Those guys didn't win four batting titles like Miguel Cabrera has. And those guys never won a triple crown either. So you tell me, is there an obvious reason why Miguel Cabrera reaching 3,000 hits isn't the number one story in sports right now? So I'll give you a theory. It's about how you got to the finish line. I think we saw the exact same thing with Albert Pools, who was an all-time great inner circle Hall of Famer uh, performer in his years with the Cardinals and went to the Angels and then sort of drifted downward. And when he hit these benchmarks, there wasn't a lot of coverage of that as well. Cabrera in recent years has seen his performance go down. Um, you know, I compare it with, say, when Steph Curry set the record for you know most three-pointers uh, during the, this NBA season. There was so much coverage, and I think part of that is that Curry's mm-hmm. still a great player, and Cabrera is not. Do you buy that? Yes, I actually buy that to, to a large degree, Buster. So that's what Greeny said on the radio yesterday was that he thinks the steroid guys ruined the record book, and I said I agree. They they ruined the home run record, not the not this. To me, I this agree is with a, you. in a different class. But your theory holds a lot of weight, and I think goes to show you that. Cabrera and Pujols, unlike Barry Bonds, for example, sort of experienced a normal career arc. So while these guys are achieving extraordinary things, they're obviously not extraordinary players anymore. To me, this has less to do with steroids and more to do with that, that those guys are just a shell of their former selves. You know, I once asked Albert Pujols what uh, milestone meant the most to him, and he surprised me because normally, you know, Albert is, I don't really pay attention to that stuff. I'm not really focused on that stuff. He said 3,000 hits. Because mm. that's not something that you can, you know, uh, fake with a bottle of steroids, right? That's that talk that that's about how many years you're playing, about extended uh, excellence, uh, and, and it takes a long time to get there. And it means you're in the lineup every day, and that's certainly been the case with Miguel Cabrera for most of his career. All right, this one intrigued me. I already know what you're going to say, but do you said do I ask you about the best left-handed pitcher in baseball? Let's see if I got this right. Okay, Buster, if you ask, say, 100 baseball fans on the street, who is the best left-handed pitcher in baseball right now? I think it would take some of those fans a while to get there. And I think that you would receive a smattering of answers. You ask me that question, and I would immediately answer, the best left-handed pitcher in baseball is Carlos Rodon. And to me, it's fairly clear that he has become that. And I'll tell you why, okay? We'll just start with the the obvious, the basics here. He's made 27 starts over the last two seasons, Buster, He's allowed one run or fewer in 18 of those. Well, that's obviously insane. Okay. He is 15 and one personally, and his teams are 18 and two when he receives at least two runs of support. He's been that kind of good, but we can obviously peel the onion back and, and, and look at a lot more layers. I think his slider, that wipeout pitch is on the short list of the very best pitches in baseball. And that has really enabled him to become the best uh, left-handed pitcher in baseball, in my judgment. Buster, over the last two years, he's thrown that slider 674 times. During that period of time, the hitters have swung at it 312. 312 swings in two years. And during that period of time, Buster, he has allowed four base hits with that pitch. For my money, it's like a 130 slug. For my money, that is as good a pitch as any starting pitcher in baseball has at the moment. He sequences it well. The Giants are going to use it brilliantly. That's why they signed him. I think he ha- I think he has a real shot to win the National League Cy Young Award. And at 10 to 1 odds, I think smart money is on Carlos Rodon. What say you? I thought you were going to say Max Fried, uh, you know, who is who has ascended an amazing second half last year. You know, that great outing against the Dodgers the other night being, uh, you know, the most recent evidence of it. But I, I get what you say with the numbers. And in fact, you know, during the offseason, one of the you know biggest questions among rival executives was, why did the White Sox not give a qualifying offer to Rodon and not uh, exercise the option at Craig Kimbrell? I think that confused some folks with other teams feeling like, OK, yeah, you had some physical questions about Rodon, mm-hmm. but why not keep him around for one year on a, a very little risk uh, you know, contract? And Kimbrell was a guy who everyone assumed that they were going to try to trade. And that, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out this year with the White Sox. The one thing I've learned about the Giants since Farhan Zaidi took over baseball operations for them, they do a lot of smart stuff. And signing Rodon seems to be one of those. Uh, The ugly consequences of non-competitive behavior. We're seeing that play out with the polarization right away in the standings. Yes, we we most definitely are. And this is I'm going to sort of deviate away from my normal numbers-based commentary here, Buster, because I was embarrassed for the game. And if I were Rob Manfred, I would have been humiliated in watching TV on Wednesday 
when I saw 2,700 people attend an Orioles A's game in the month of April. That was not a major league game, and it should not be characterized as such. The Orioles right now are paying their uh, major league roster $44 million. That's about what Max Scherzer makes this year. The A's are at 48. I think it is. I think that image, that that image, where you you know surveyed the entire Coliseum, just canvassed in green, is a perfect illustration of baseball's biggest problem right now. It doesn't make any sense to me why owners are good with that. It doesn't make any sense to me why there weren't provisions in the last CBA to at minimum provide a just some semblance of salary floor to ensure that we weren't going to have to watch a minor league baseball game in a major league stadium. These are two proud fan franchises with two good fan bases, but that was humiliating for the sport. And I think in one sort of sweeping image, especially this early in the season, that was a really good example of baseball's biggest problem. What say you? Yeah. And some fans have to really understand what's going on too. It was yesterday. I can't remember who tweeted out, uh, but somebody sent out a note that the team leading the majors in pitching war right now or the Orioles, and there are a couple Orioles fans, because I've been critical of the Orioles tanking in recent years, and an Orioles fan tweeted me, say, somebody tell Buster only, and I'm like, dude, your team is 4-9. and nine. <laughs> you know? yes. They're going to win 50 games again. Who cares about pitching war? How about be something more than an embarrassment? That's right. Oh. The, this, is, this has less to do with on-field performance, Buster, for me, and a lot more to do with organizational philosophy. I, I believe yes. it's to be immoral and unethical to do what the Orioles have done. And look, I think Billy Bean is a freaking genius. Like what they've done there is brilliant. And right now they have a winning record, but no one could argue that they're fielding a representative major league baseball team right now. And that just makes me sad. And it's not a good look for baseball to me. Like when you have stories this early in the season, especially when the headline is how few people paid to go to your game, the sports in a place for which if I were running it, I would do whatever I could to reverse that trend. And before you go, uh, as you know, home runs are down early in the season. I've seen so many games where it looks like the players are wrapped up uh, like polar bears <laughs> with the layers that they have on. I think that's part of it. I know we're going to talk in a little bit about the humidors. Uh, you know, there's always the conspiracy theories about the baseball. How ugly are the numbers behind the home run decline? They're pretty ugly. So I'll, I'll leave it to you and other uh, intrepid journalists to decide why this is happening. But the numbers are pretty loud, Buster. Right now, the average fly ball is, is flying 314 feet, which through this point of the season is the lowest total since the lowest average, I should say, since 2014. Overall, the league-wide slugging um, is at, as, as low as it's been at this point in the season in about 30 years. But what wow. is most interesting to me, and I've noticed this anecdotally, I've seen so many hitters pimp doubles and fly ball out this season. I'm thinking to myself, is aside from the weather, of course, like is there some other factor that's contributing to these guys, these professional hitters, thinking that they're hitting homers when they're not. So what I did was StatCast uh, allows you to identify all the batted balls that they classify as barrels, which, as you know, constitutes balls in play that they describe as having like, sort of perfect contact, optimal launch angle and exit velocity. And the slugging percentage buster league-wide on those swings is way down, meaning when hitters are making optimal contact, they're, they're seeing about 15% less uh, production, less slugging than they were even last year. And that figure has sort of precipitously declined. So we can talk the composition of the baseball. We can talk about the humidor. The bottom line of it is hitters are hitting the ball as well as they have before because the expected numbers are just like they always have been. But they're not generating the same results. I wonder how long it might last. But I'm comparing these numbers in April, year over year, not league-wide. So it's not obvious to me that it's just the weather. Okay. Well, I'd like you to send me those numbers, and we'll talk about that on Sunday Night Baseball, the game in which, as you know, as a Phillies fan, is going to be filled with a bunch of uh, big sluggers. Yeah, uh, big sluggers and big sluggers hitting home runs off of Aaron Nola's curveball buster. I did some uh, research uh, for you this, this week on Aaron Nola, who was once an ace, who was no longer an ace. I think what you'll see in that game is the Phillies score fewer runs than they should and allow way more runs than they should. As you can tell, I'm a Negadelphian, not a Philadelphian. <laughs> Embo, great to talk with you. Later, man. I'm going to go uptown now. Jessica Mendoza is a game analyst for ESPN and Jess for Dodger games starting tonight. And what a big game you got, big series you got. Dodgers playing the Padres. What do you think? Yeah, I'm excited, honestly, to, you know, join the Dodgers broadcast and be a part of everything that they're 
they're doing. And um, honestly, this series, talk, talk about a way to kick it off. I mean, Dodgers Padres being down here in San Diego, but as you know, Buster, I mean, when you're doing a national broadcast and, you know, you're trying to keep track of like everything that's going on versus, you know, being a part of the team. So I'm, I'm excited to, you know, I've already, you know, texted with Mark Pryor and Robert Von Skoyak and, you know, the hitting coach and pitching coach of the Dodgers sit down with them and just try to really get inside, you know, a team um, to really understand, you know, some of the nuances, some of the things they're working. I mean, the Dodgers of all organizations, I mean, they do and create stuff that other teams just are doing. So I'm, you know, going to be with them for the next seven days. Uh, we'll be with them throughout the summer as well. And uh, I just, you know, the nerd in me <laughs> gets giddy about understanding why, how, when you recognize, you know, a pitcher, for example, like Andrew Heaney, and he comes over here and he works on his slider, his breaking ball, and he changes the grip. Like, how do you recognize that? What do you do? Of course, he's hurt right now, but things like that, that I just get super, super giddy about. All right. The Dodgers early in the season, they are who we thought they were, right? They're off to a great start. They're winning a lot of games. Just had a nice series against the Atlanta Braves and Cody Bellinger's doing well, you know, hitting 279, 354 on base percentage. 535 slugging percentage. The numbers throughout most of spring training were really ugly. But, uh, and I watched part of the Dodger broadcast the other day, it feels like he's stabilizing. Honestly, coming out of spring training and seeing, especially all the strikeouts, the swing and miss. I mean, that's that's a huge concern, especially when you saw kind of the season last year and, and knowing the potential for the slump that Cody has. But it's been really, really cool to see him be able to come back. I mean, he was really trying to manipulate his swing, really trying to slow things down, do things differently. And then ultimately, Buster, he just went back to what he was. <laughs> like, I mean, taking serious hacks, that torque that he has in his swing. I mean, that's him. And he is going to get swing and miss. And honestly, he does have holes in that swing. But if a pitcher makes a mistake, which we see all the time now, especially when they're trying to go max effort, max velocity as pitchers, they're not going to be able to be as perfect as we've seen in the past. So for Cody Bellinger, I mean, I think just seeing the confidence back, I mean, in the series against the Braves, you know, it started out like a couple little hits, you know, I think one was like a jam shot, getting into the outfield, ground ball, seeing eyeball ground ball gets to the middle and then all of a sudden the explosion came and it wasn't just the look on his face buster but seeing dino evil over at third base high five him like so pumped up when he got um one of his triples you could see that the team wants that pressure to be off his shoulders to see cody bellinger do what he does i remember last year when he was doing really bad really really badly having a conversation with somebody in the front office and asking the question Look, is he so bad now that you guys might consider not tendering him in the winter? And, you know, this person acknowledged how deep the struggles were, but he also said, you know what, we're going to bet on the athlete. Like Cody is such a phenomenal athlete that, yeah, his swing is unorthodox. You'd never teach that to a, you know, to a, a little leaguer, but the athlete in him is so unbelievable that we think he's going to bounce back. Uh, on the other side, uh, you've got the San Diego Padres. They're off to a good start. We had them on Sunday Night Baseball the uh, last weekend, Jess. And there's no doubt Bob Melvin has made a huge impact on that team. I think in the same way that Buck Showalter has on the Mets, just a stabilizing person in the dugout, a manager with credibility in the eyes of players. Yeah. And that's, I mean, something that you can just tell. And you saw it when you were with them on Sunday is just, you know, a team that has a lot of moving parts. They've got a lot of different personalities. You know, we've talked about that over the years with the Manny Machado at the, the helm, you know, kind of leading this team. And of course, Fernando Tatis Jr. is hurt right now, you know, one of their biggest stars, but kind of just like, I was even looking at all the different lineup configurations that they've had throughout the season early on already. And it seems like they can really get production and understanding in the role that each player is playing. And that to me comes back to the manager and communication. And I know, you know, there was a quote from Eric Hosmer talking about how for the first time when, you know, Eric was talking about, they were talking about trading him, the trade deadline last year, there was all this, these rumors and coming to the season, Bob called him in and said, look, I think you are an unbelievable player. I want you on this team. I know that I don't have the NSA, but I just want to let you know how incredible I think you are. And now that you're here, like we're going to have some fun. And Eric said that was the first time a manager 
in the Padres organization had ever said those words to him. And it meant a ton. And you think, oh, he's Eric Hosmer. Like, of course he knows how good he is. But we all know when it comes to our bosses, (laughs) it helps to be communicated to. It helps to be told your role and your worth. And that's what Bob Melvin has done, the San Diego Padres. So you you don't think it's a coincidence that Eric Hosmer's often this great star for the Padres, with no. uh, you know having Bob having a I, I definitely Bob. credit Bob, and I I think obviously you credit the talent of Hosmer absolutely, but you you know this as much as anyone, Buster, how much this game is mental, and for even a player like Eric Hosmer, I mean it is like eighty percent just believing and understanding, especially when you know you're on a team as he has been the last five years that has so much talent. I mean, there's so many great players. You kind of get lost in that. And Bob took him and said, I see you. And these are the things I see. This is what makes you great. And by the way, I'm writing in this lineup every single opportunity I get. I believe in you. And now he's taken off and being the player we know he is. The Mariners had an ugly loss last night to the Texas Rangers, but you've had fun watching them play this year. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I live in the Northwest and this is a team last year, you know, they were one win away, you know, coming down the stretch, making the playoffs, that huge drought that, you know, is bigger than any in professional sports, you know, across two decades that this team has not been to the playoffs, you know, and they go out and get a Cy Young winner and Rob Ray, you know, they add Jesse Winker and, you know, multitude of players to their offense. Um, And I think what I love Buster, and we haven't seen it all connect yet, but they've such a fun time, like playing the game and you get the, you know, the young guys and Jared Kalenic, you know, Julio Rodriguez, they haven't quite hit their stride yet, but you just get this feeling like when they do, and they're so dang talented, you know, it's going to happen. It's just going to further add And right now. I mean, Jesse Winker's struggling. I mean, there's so many of their players that are offensively not who you know that they can be. Uh, I mean, Adam Frazier is leading that team right now. It's another new pickup um, and a lot of their offensive stats. But this is a team that you you are like, it, just watching them play the game, they enjoy it. They love it. And, and I'm saying this, watching them on the back end of last season, when you see a lot of teams just like grinding, they never looked that way. <laughs> they look like every day. We're fun to be at the ballpark. We're going to win this game. And I'm hoping this is a team that gets into the playoffs. And I think this is a year when the casual fans learn the name of Logan Gilbert. Yeah. Yes. I mean, stuff wise uh, as a pitcher. And he's, he's led their entire staff and this is a staff, you know, like I said, it's got a Cy Young winner and Robbie Ray. They've got, you know, some big names and Marco Gonzalez and, you know, pitchers that we've seen have success in the past. And yet it's Logan Gilbert there with a a 0.058 ERA. (laughs) So stupid. And we'll see those numbers get more realistic, but he's been lights out and you're kind of like, wait, who is this guy? Where did he come from? Especially looking at the names on that staff. He's the one that's been, been shining. All right. Before you go, we got a bleach tweet coming up asking about the early season success of Francisco Lindor, uh, who obviously has been so important to the Mets so far this year. What are you seeing in the Mets? Yeah. Well, and honestly, seeing Lindor, God, that smile, right? I mean, just to me, if anything exemplifies like the 10 year old and all of us, that's like just giddy to play and similar, I think to Eric Hosmer um, and Bob Melvin, I think Buck Showalter has, has done the same with Francisco Lindor. I think he has taken the big market of New York and kind of narrowed it back into like, Hey, you are a player that I absolutely believe in. And I don't know the words that Buck has shared, but you watch the relationship. You watch the shots of them in the dugout and him kind of like arm around him, talking to him. He definitely sees and understands the psyche of Lindor, it seems like, and is bringing out the best in him. And, you know, you watch the Mets and of course the biggest news is Jacob DeGrom, you know, not on the staff. And yet now you see like their entire pitching staff and, you know, the get like so many pitchers. I mean, you mentioned Logan Gilbert with the Mariners I and mean, you're seeing pitchers within the Mets organization that aren't named Max Scherzer, you know, that, that aren't, you know, Chris Bassett and the big names that, that we were expecting to carry the staff. Of course it's early. Um, but that to me is like, what gets me excited is, is at some point Jacob DeGrom is going to come back later in the season and this pitching staff is already, you know, the best in the majors so far. All right, Jess, we'll have fun on the uh, broadcast tonight. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a glorious Friday. We have 
Archie Tatis Jr. at Win for Gwyn up first. Uh, this person writes in, I haven't heard you guys talk about the humidors yet, and home runs are down across the league. Any correlation? I don't know science, so I hope this tweet is kind to me. Any any talk on that, Buster, you've heard? You think Archie's a Padres fan, perhaps? No I love chance. the, uh, the handle. Not. Archie nope. Tatis Jr., Win for Gwyn. Uh, yeah, I think there is some correlation. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that, uh, you know, that's why they ordered a standardization of the humidor for the first time in baseball history in all 30 ballparks. Last tweet for the week. Katie Casey at Tweeter Bleats writes in, how much can Francisco Lindor's return to form be credited to Buck Showalter? Can we officially crown Buck as Johnny Super Scout? Johnny Super Scout. Katie, you are a listener for going back to days when Josh Macri was the producer of this podcast. Uh, we had Buck Showalter on once and he dropped that. He said, you don't have to be Johnny Super Scout talking about some situation. Uh, it, it, he has such a great sense of humor. He's a terrific manager. I think he probably has helped out some uh, because of his credibility with players. You know, maybe the coaching staff that he brought in, Joey Cora, you know, Wayne Kirby, uh, you know, the players that they brought in. But, you know, Francisco Lindor is a great player, and I'm sure he was embarrassed by what happened last year. And it's from everything I've heard, he came into spring training on a mission to bounce back from that ugly 2022. Alrighty, that's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. And Buster, we've buried the lead on this. My brain is all over the place because of the move and everything, but we have a new offering for Baseball Tonight podcast listeners starting on Monday. If you want to put your eyeballs on Buster Olney and Tim Kirkshin on YouTube, you are going to be able to do that. This is very exciting, Buster. We've been talking about this behind the scenes for a while, and it is finally coming to fruition. Yes. Yeah, very excited about it. You can see Tim's expressions when I uh, yell at him, when I challenge him. Uh, <laughs> it'll be a fun conversation, and I, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I I thought, uh, you know, Tim is eminently entertaining. Uh, so whether it's Tim or, you know, other folks along the way, uh, I think the video element is going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be a great addition for the podcast. That's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Ravi, Jess, Hembo, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.